Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 26th, 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com's there's a good archive section there going way back many years, and you'll find over a thousand audios where I try to fill in the blanks to the reality that you live in and give you really the, the true reality, the reality that's, that should be visible to all, but through your conditioning you can't see it, and your constant media indoctrination, never mind your educational indoctrination as well. So help yourself to the audios, and you'll learn an awful lot of the big foundations, organizations that got together an awful long time ago to basically run the world the way they they thought it should be run in a scientific manner to suit themselves, of course, because the biggest money boys on the planet are intergenerational and they had got together, as I say, in the 1800s and then formed their clubs. And then in the 1900s, they wrote about it and what they were doing. Today, they call them the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs. They also have the Royal Society and many other uh, organizations all uh, associated with it to, to run the entire planet and the way we think and see things and how we, we basically behave in our society. To suit themselves, of course. But they want to, to control the whole world and all its resources in what they call the proper fashion, right down to you, because you see, you're a human resource, and your function is to produce and pay taxes for your whole life, and hopefully you'll die before you get your pension. That's the big part that's coming up now, too. They don't really want to give you your pension. Why don't we just die off and give you a pill that's very, very cheap on a national health service like they're pushing in Britain and elsewhere? Member two, you're the audience that bring me to you, and you can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And remember, you can donate as well. And from the U.S. to Canada, personal checks are good. So are international postal money orders from your post office. You can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And as I say, straight donations are awfully welcome in these inflationary times as I like to call them. But we are living in a, in a fiction, in a sense. It's been very, very well organized. Um, bio, they've had um, neuroscientists working on our minds for a long time, behaviorists, psychologists of all kinds, uh, to make sure they get uniform societies across the world. And eventually they hope to have literally that, a standardized uniform society across the whole planet, where the people are dumbed down, and behave themselves and are well entertained and will take an awful lot, in other words, from the government itself. In other words, they'll take a lot of nasty stuff from the government and they'll also pay back an awful lot to the government because you're going into austerity. That's a big plan, austerity. While the big boys at the top plunder you over and over again. They own your governments. They own uh, the big um, corporations, even the corporations of associations of ex-countries like the EU. It's a big corporation now. They own all those people, millions and millions of them. And they want to do the same for the Americas as well. And uh, the Middle East 
and the Pacific Rim region too. Big plans, mind you, but why not when you run the world? Why not go and have big plans? You've always gotten away with it before. And they, they muddy up the realities so well, the average Joe hasn't a clue what's really, really going on. All you get at the bottom are the side effects, the fallout of things, and the cost of it too. And that's how it's dished out to you. Very old plan. It uses communism. It uses fascism. It uses everything. In fact, it's really the both sides of the same thing. It's very, very cabalistic in a sense, uh, where they, they use the opposites to make the things happen. And it works very, very well. And you're living through it now. Big changes. They call it the age of transitions. And God help us all. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and talking about reality because it's a struggle to get there, to get into any reality at all. There's so many conflicting stories about things and that's, of course, part of the tactic of controlling the people. You have so many conflicting stories on every topic and it's meant to shut you down. You just give up and shut down and then you take the eventual mainstream word for it and go with them. That's how you're controlled, really. You're not supposed to ever... Go by your own judgments. In fact, you're not supposed to really have any judgments unless they're given to you as well. You're told what to be even be prejudiced about and what to accept, even if it's nasty to you. But everything's managed that way. There's nothing out there on mainstream media that isn't managed, very well managed. Because remember, too, the Council of Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, even before World War I, they owned all the newspapers on the planet. That's all like newspapers on the planet. And today's only four corporations really runs all the, the, the media in the U.S., four corporations, and really they'll all be connected together too with the appearance of competition. But this article here is from the New York Times, and it's about the, the campaign trail, for instance. It's a small example, but it, it gives you the names of the different advisors that work behind Romney, for instance, and other ones as well. And these advisors are more important than presidents. The advisors know the big, big story. They know the big push for the world. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They work with other advisors across the planet. They've been specially trained. And you can get actors as front men. They're well rewarded for it, mind you. And But the advisors are very, very important. And it says here, it talks about the campaign trails, and this is Eric Fernstrom. Uh, and a, a Romney advisor and David Plouffe, who's a senior White House advisor, uh, uh, insisted times on approval of their quotations. So anything that comes out of the politicians' mouths has to go get, get a, approval afterwards to be printed in any media or even mentioned on television, on the news by these advisors. They all have them, by the way. Who appoints these advisors to them? You understand there's only one group that appoints advisors to all the apparent parties. And they know, they know their job. They know their job very, very well. So I always look to see what's behind them. Sometimes they're so secretive as to who these advisors are that they can keep it. There's an article in Ontario quite a few years back about, um, and mainstream. And it talked for the first time about the Premier of Ontario. It's the, the governor of the whole of Ontario. And it, it did mention after this guy I was in for years, he had an advisor. 
and they said they couldn't tell you who he was. They were scared. The reporters said they were scared to mention his name. He was so powerful. It was gold something it turned out to be, his last name. He went off to the feds after he worked in Ontario governments. But he'd been there for years, running the whole show. And the front man that he elected was just a puppet, you see. And that's how it's always been run at rep to the federal level in the States too. Britain's no different either. It's all the same uh, trick. So you can't believe anything from the mainstream. It is that micro-controlled. Micro-controlled. But I'll put this article up tonight from uh, the New York Times, and you can read it yourself. There's another one similar to it too, with one of the the, the well-known reporters talking about it and how there is no, there's no realness in anything, basically. It's all fake. I mentioned too about Richard M. Haas. He's the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. Remember the Council on Foreign Relations, like all these big foundations, etc., and think tanks, they're all classified as charitable, non-profit organizations. But everybody who's a member of it becomes president or prime minister across the whole planet because, you see, they're in every country across the world, have been for a hundred years. And you can't get anywhere unless you're a member of it. You can't go and join it and pay your dues. You must be asked into it. You're well vetted and tested long before you're asked to come into it to make sure you're on board with the global agenda, which the public are supposed to be completely ignorant of and be kept ignorant of. So you see, here's a guy I remember, Richard Enhas, powerful guy at the top of the world, who does the work behind the scenes, uh, works with all uh, NSA and all the different groups there, all militaries across the world. A, a charitable guy, very charitable. And he's on about into Syria without arms. Now, now no one elects these groups, remember. They're private, private organizations, non-charitable foundations. But they run the world. And Carl quickly talked about that. He should know because he was their official historian who gave you an alternative view of history. He said, what these guys have done for a hundred years, the wars have caused, should be known to the general public. He thought the public would accept it. Maybe they're so dumbed down they would. They've been behind all the wars. These are the guys who have special agents working for them, stirring up trouble across the planet, working with the intelligence agencies. The guys in the intelligence agencies are part of this organ, this charitable organization. Even though they're getting, maybe getting funded and paid by you, the taxpayer, via the government. But it says much of the debate over what to do in the Middle East tends to pit realists against idealists. Bahrain is a classic case, as is Saudi Arabia, and for that matter, Egypt calls for the United States and other countries with interests and influence in the region to stand up for democracy and human rights, run up against concerns that national security interests will suffer if pro-Western authoritarian regimes are ousted. European and U.S. policymakers often attempt to square the circle with a compromise policy that's inconsistent and satisfies no one. Now remember, this is a master manipulator talking here, just like Brzezinski. Syria offers a stark contrast to this pattern in the sense that strategic and humanitarian interests are aligned. Many governments have a strategic desire to oust a regime that is closely allied with Iran and Hezbollah. Now, which governments is he talking about? Are they bothering you? 
It says, and there is a, a humanitarian desire to get rid of a regime that's killed as many as 15,000, if not more, of its own people. Now, I could go back and give you the article months ago where he said the numbers were fake and the CFR and him himself, they put them out in the first place. So he is putting numbers out again. But an armed intervention would be a large undertaking, one requiring not just considerable air power, and says, but also ground forces given existence of at least two capable divisions that remain loyal to President Bashar al-Assad. And then he goes on to say down, down here, he says, uh, that um, one alternative to direct military intervention is to provide arms and other forms of support to the opposition. Then he says, this is being done. You see, the U.S. and Britain uh, and Israel and other countries are providing the arms and the training even for these so-called uh, rebels that have been flown in from all over the place to take part in ousting Mossad. So it says this is being done. They are arming them. The case for helping people defend themselves is obvious. Actually, there was no trouble before they started the revolt. But arming the opposition is not without its drawbacks. It risks fueling a civil war and, and encouraging regime loyalists to dig in. In addition, arms provided to fight the regime will be used by factions to fight one another if and when the regime is removed, thereby making the aftermath in Syria that much more violent. But inter- intervention need not be defined as either armed intervention or intervention with arms. There's much more that the world can and should be do, uh, doing to bring about the removal of the Assad regime. What? He hasn't given us a reason why. So they're going about economic sanctions, increase that too. He's already said that the West is arming these rebels. And, uh, and he goes on and on and on with a big, big plan from the United Nations. Because, of, of course, the United Nations big boys are all part of the CFR as well. The, the United Nations, remember, is a front organization for the bankers who created the Royal Institute of International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations. A hundred years ago. So we're living through a big, big agenda. This is the century for change, remember. Not just change across the world to standardize everyone and try to get the same educational system in, get them all dumbed down with inoculations and, and mercury and various other things, but, but also they want to bring down the population after that eventually as well, and using the Western style where we abort more children and have live births now. And this article here, next one, from the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, is, is, is uh, actually this one is a bit different. It's from the Sovereign Independent. Uh, this is a, an article about the morality of politicians demanding the abolition of cash. See, the world to go cashless eventually. And the Conservative Member of Parliament, David Gauck, came out with paying cash is morally wrong. Now, the head guy for the British Treasury has come out and said the same thing. And the guy who's in charge of Her Majesty's uh, Customs and Revenue Taxation Service. They've even got courses for children now. They, they have to get told to inform on people they've heard that are not paying taxes. When they're 11 years of age, they get courses in school to clip on people. They turn them in to the government. So when he says, I was just wondering what uh, planet these creeps think they live on and who they seem to think they are. They're living in a delusional world where they seem to believe that they are, they are some kind of higher beings who have the right to subjugate and control all those below them. Well, that's exactly what, how they think about themselves. But the truth is that they are our servants. They're supposed to be their servants. They're also about democracy. Have you ever looked into the meaning of democracy? Have any, how many people out there have actually looked into the origins of the term democracy? 
and compare it with the French one that really brought out in the first place, where the government's supposed to be your servants. It says they, of course, don't believe or indeed care about the fact and uh, that fact that they are servants and continue to vote themselves massive salaries and pension rights as well as other perks and goodies from which they benefit. We'll have to look at the disgusting wealth now in the Tony Blair's moral bank account equating to approximately £80 million. This is a guy who single-handedly took Britain to war along with Bush. To see the depths of morality incumbent in these traitorous psychopaths, to see that politicians have no right to preach austerity to the people of this country any more than have the right to even mention the word morality when they're more than happy to murder and maim millions of human beings at a whim. And we better remember that. You see, they don't see murdering people abroad any different than murdering you back home. They really don't. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and this article here goes even further to do with uh, the, the uh, not just the, ta- the, the cashless society but also the, the, the tax system in itself. I mean, democracy, they keep saying democracy and we're fighting across the world for democracy, remember. Here is Britain, still under Her Majesty, the Crown. Everybody swears allegiance to the Queen that collects taxes, works for government, has any kind of uniform. And they call it democracy. What a joke. This article here says critics says, um, said it was un-British of Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Officer to try to turn children into state spies. The news came after a Treasury Minister said it was morally wrong for homeowners to negotiate discounts with plumbers and traders by paying them in cash if it allowed them to evade tax. You know how much, they can't even tell you where billions of pounds are going to, supposedly. They keep losing billions of pounds at the top, overseas, apparently. But at home, they want to make sure that every penny is accounted for. So the HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue Council uh, and Customs, has set up teaching modules to, to guide children through the hazards of pay-as-you-earn and national insurance contributions. Some of the modules, which can be downloaded from Her Majesty's website, teach school children as young as 11 about paying their fair share of tax. These are for the guys at the top that pay none at all. You know, the Queen's got her own accounting firm. It's a private one, way out in the country. A big, big estate, actually. You can't get through the doors. The Man Alive group tried to get in for an interview once and they, they couldn't get past the gate. Only the richest people in Britain uh, go through this accounting firm and they managed to bring everything down to, to zero. In fact, the government will end up paying you money back. But only for the ultra-rich. And the Queen's goes through this particular firm. But she wants your cash. So some of them, we can download from HMRC's website, teach children as young as 11 about paying their fair share of tax. The revenue uses videos, games, facts and quizzes to help make teaching financial capability and citizenship issues relevant and engaging, according to its website. One module headline, Tax Responsibilities of a Good Citizen, aims to help teenagers understand the obligations of being a good citizen and discuss what should happen to those who are not prepared to work under such obligations. Like the elites, I suppose. One lesson plan targeted to 14 to 16 year olds requires students to discuss whether it's good to pay the tax we do, considering the benefits we receive. If it's good, then why do people try not to pay? 
It continues, show class the remaining uh, fact file slides on tax evasion. What do students think of those who refuse to, refuse to pay tax or try and defraud the benefit system? Can they think of any example they may have heard of in their local area? You know, that's squealing. That's what it means. A further plenary session asks, why do, what do students now think about paying taxes and what other ways can we contribute to working together for a better society? What define better society? It's an absolute mess over in Britain now, thanks to government. It says, what do students think about people who try to avoid paying taxes? Is it a victimless crime? What kind of penalties should such people be given when they are caught? And there's a couple of PDFs from the British Citizenship Lesson Plans. I'll put this up tonight to all these links at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So the modules were criticized by think tank Civitas. David Green, its director, said, This sounds a bit too big brotherish. People in their local area are most likely to be parents or close relatives. Turning children into state spies is un-British. Well, is it really the British that run Britain? Is it? An HMRC spokesman said, HMRC has been providing basic information for many years to teachers to use when teaching financial education in classrooms. We certainly don't use this to collect information on tax evaders from children. These materials are solely designed to help children to learn about how tax works in Britain. The news came after Prime Minister David Cameron and his deputy Nick Clegg were amongst a number of cabinet ministers who admitted they paid in cash for services. However, they denied that they ever did so to help someone evade their value-added tax. The value-added tax is to be worldwide, you understand. It was the Royal Institute of International Affairs that came up with it. They're still to slap it on America, yet some countries have call it the, the, the higher sales tax. That's what Brian Maroney called it. He said, oh, I, I, vote me in, I won't put in the value-added tax. And so he, he put it in and called it the higher sales tax instead. That came after Exchequer Secretary to the Treasury, David Gox, said it was morally wrong for homeowners to negotiate discounts with plumbers and traders by paying them in cash if it allowed them to evade the VAT or income tax. His comments reflected growing concern in Whitehall about the cash-in-hand economy, which costs billions of pounds a year in lost tax revenues. Well, even if they had all those billions, they'd lose all that at the top too, and they wouldn't tell the public. They never tell the public where it goes at the top. And the boys in the top in the House of Lords have been into every big uh, military-industrial complex for forever. Whenever a new missile was going to get built, as those guys got the first tips in it, and they would get shares in it and so on. It's just a big business for them, you see. That's what politics really is. Big business with a, with a world plan, of course, because there is a head to the world business plan. And inside the quiet effort to plan for a post-Assad Syria, this is interesting too. For the last six months, 40 senior representatives of various Syrian opposition groups have been meeting quietly in Germany under the tutelage of the United States Institute for Peace, as the USIP, to plan for how to set up a post-Assad Syrian government. This is for the US to know that you're paying for this. They did the same thing before the attacks, Iraq, remember, and Libya as well. And again, this Institute for Peace is a non-profit organization, but funded by the government. Back with more after this break.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about who's paying for all of this. It's the U.S. and Britain, of course, primarily, that's paying for all the transitions that will happen in Syria once they're, they're over with. But it's talking about, too, the, the, these non-profit organizations, the U.S. Institute for Peace uh, and other organizations, are all funded by, well, the governments of the U.S. They are part of their program, you see. And they're the guys that recruit the rebels and all the rest of it, or purchase some of their mercenaries and get armies going. That's how it really works. The project was not directly involved U.S. government officials, but was partially funded by the State Department, is gaining increased relevance this month as the violence in Syria spirals out of control and hopes for a peaceful transition of power fade away. The leader of the project, USIP Stephen Heidemann, an academic expert on Syria, has briefed administration officials on the plan, as well as foreign officials, including on the sidelines of the Friends of Syria meeting in Istanbul last month. It sounds awful good, Friends of Syria, but the same thing with Iraq and so on. These are the guys that they've decided they'll put in after they got rid of the last one. The project is called The Day After, supporting a democratic transition in Syria. Heidemann spoke about the project in depth for the first time in an interview with The Cable. He described USIP's efforts as working in a support role with a large group of opposition groups to define a transition process for a post-Assad Syria. Well, you can see how uh, they've made such a good, good uh, job in the past with Iraq. There's still a basket case, just like Brzezinski and Kissinger said it would be. They preferred they left the countries as basket cases. With, and, and they'd actually fund conflicting parties to keep fighting forever. That's what you have now. And then you dominate them that way. You can go in there, make your deals with big oil companies, and it doesn't matter what gang leader is, is going to protect you, one or the other, it doesn't make any difference to the boys at the top. They get it far cheaper from them too. But those countries then are, they're, they're, they're done for. They can't get together and, and oppose any other external government. So the opposition leaders involved in the USIP project have been meeting since January and providing updates on their work to the Arab League, the Friends of Syria Group, the the team of United Nations Special Envoy Kofi Annan, and the opposition Syrian National Council. The focus of the group's efforts is, is to develop concrete plans for the immediate aftermath of a regime collapse and to mitigate the risks of bureaucratic security and economic chaos. The project has also identified a few things that can be done in advance to prepare for a post-Assad Syria. So there's your non-intervention techniques in domestic affairs. Remember, Libya was the same. Every country, including the U.S. and Britain, have signed. They would, they would not go in to interfere with internal uh, fracases within countries. And they've all broken every single law that they signed themselves. Uh, now, to do with the Bulgarian bus attack, it just makes no sense at all, uh, who, folk who followed it. But anyway, this is from the Jerusalem Post, and it says, Iran accuses Israel of plotting Bulgaria bus attack. It says, uh, United Nations, Iran's UN envoy accused Israel on Wednesday of plotting and carrying out a suicide bomb attack on a bus in Bulgaria a week ago in which five Israeli tourists were killed. A suicide bomber blew up the bus in a car park at Burgas Airport, a popular gateway for tourists visiting Bulgaria's Black Sea coast, killing himself, the Israeli tourists and the Bulgarian bus driver and wounding more than 30 people. They even said that they couldn't find parts of this terrorist body, which I don't believe either wasn't there or 
Somebody put this stuff on the bus before. Israel has accused Iran and Lebanese Islamist groups Hezbollah of the bombing and Iran has denied accusations. It says, it's amazing that just a few minutes after the terrorist attack, Israel officials announced that Iran was behind it. Iran's UN ambassador, Mohammed Kazi, told the UN Secretary Security Council debate on the Middle East, we have never and will not engage in such despicable attempts on innocent people. Such terrorist operations could only be planned and carried out by the same regime whose short history is full of state terrorism operations and assassinations aimed at implicating others for narrow political gains, Kazi said. I could provide many examples showing that this regime killed its own citizens and innocent Jewish people during the last couple of decades. So that's their response to the accusation. And uh, remember, too, countries do that. They'll, they'll, they will dispose of some of their own uh, to get the benefits of sympathy and the excuse to attack and do things as well. That's a fact, folks. That's a hard history lesson you have to learn. All countries have done this many times over. J.C. Penney's to eliminate checkout clerks, it says here. It says it's been 100 years since uh, J.C. Penney opened its first door in Wyoming. And now the retail giant with more than a thousand outlets is struggling to turn a profit, even though lots of people love the store. So it says, but the store is getting a makeover, specialized boutiques within the store, like a denim bar and more. But what they're going to try to do, of course, is to replace Clark's with a self-checkout system. Just something like Walmart's doing in, in some of their stores as well. And even the build-all centers in Canada are doing that too. Well, that doesn't go over too well with some customers. But uh, see, eventually that's all you'll have. It says, uh, Penny CEO Ron Johnson says the store will switch the traditional barcodes and price tags to RFIDs or radio frequency identification chips and use self-service checkout machines found in many grocery stores. So eventually you'll have no people at all working in these stores. There'll be security guards dressed in black with machine guns just in case you try to somehow skip out with something you haven't paid for. But uh, eventually it'll all be automatic anyway, and it'll be deducted from your card where you pull out your wallet or not. And then down the road eventually you'll get the chip. We all know that's coming. That's definitely coming. With the LIBOR scandal, there's nothing new. We've been doing this forever. It says the BBA warned weekly, says former rate compiler. Uh, It says... uh, Barclays HQ in London and several other banks, apart from Barclays, were making odd LIBOR submissions in 2008. They were fixing the rates. The British Bankers Association was given weekly warnings in 2008 that the process of setting the LIBOR interest rates was being distorted. A former member of the LIBOR compilation team at Thomson Reuters says it regularly warned senior BBA staff about the problem. Its reports regularly highlighted the implausible rate submissions, meaning fraudulent, of several banks uh, involved in the LIBOR process. The BBA denied these and had amounted to warnings of wrongdoing. Not very effectual. Each day, the six-man team at Thomson Reuters would calculate the various LIBOR interest rates based on estimates submitted by staff from a panel of banks about how much it would cost them to borrow in the financial markets in various currencies and for various durations. The highest and lowest estimates were discarded as outliers and the average rate derived from the remaining ones and then published. The warning reports from the LIBOR team were passed to John M. Ewan, the BBA's head of LIBOR, who now works for Thomson Reuters. The former member of the rate compilation team, who wishes to be anonymous, told the BBC that Mr. Hume was given weekly reports detailing the oddities. 
So everything was rigged and fixed, but it still it can continue that way because everything to do with banking uh, is rigged and fixed, and it's a scam, as we all know. Odd that too, that um, you find Mr. Holmes, the, sh- the shooter, if he was the shooter, in, in fact, at Aurora, uh, his dad is way up there in, uh, in to do with algorithms too for searching and, and finding corresponding information that you would normally never get, special algorithms, but to do especially with banking. And I, I believe he was to testify at the LIBOR scandal as well because he's, they're using his uh, algorithmic systems. They can tell who the top guys were that were funneling money out the country. Kind of dangerous thing to have, that kind of information, isn't it? They might do something to your family or something like that. Isn't it strange that? But the world's full of coincidences. There's no doubt about that. Lots of coincidences. Now, Key West, Florida, we're getting this idea too through Bill Gates and others with their mutant mosquitoes. They're going to help us all by putting viruses into mutant mosquitoes that they say will eventually sterilize or kill off anything that they mate with. I always think about people because they seem to do more mating with us on a buggy day. It says when Hayden Parry, chief executive officer of the British Biotechnology Technology Company Oxitec Limited, appeared at Key West Town Hall meeting to present his plan to use genetically modified mosquitoes in the fight to eradicate dengue fever. He came up against familiar resistance. Alarmed local residents in the April meeting raised the specter of their island paradise being turned into an experimental Jurassic Park for mutant mosquitoes. Uh, it says, have there been studies of what can happen if someone is bit by one of the mosquitoes, said Key West realtor Mila Demir. Uh, are we subject to the guinea pigs of this experiment? We have the potential threats to its vital tourism industry. The Florida Keys Mosquito Control Unit spends $1 million a year on eradication efforts and is constantly on the lookout for dengue, a potential fatal virus with extreme uh, flu-like symptoms that is spread by the, the Aedes aegypti, uh, aegypti mosquito. This prospect of saving taxpayers' dollars prompted Mosquito Control Board to propose implementing Oxitec's GM technology on an experimental basis. A group of residents spearheaded by Demeyer has campaigned vociferously against the use of mutants and persuaded the city commission to reject the Mosquito Control Board's recommendation. Now, the board doesn't need city permission to proceed, but the mutant mosquito release is on hold, waiting for federal approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It's apparently this, this whole thing is to sterilize the males. They also, also stack them up with different viruses, mind you, so that they pass them on to the females uh, as a, when, they're, when they're having their, their little time together. And uh, supposedly it can either kill off the female or kill off anything in her eggs, make them sterile too. But, but in between, of course, they can bite a person with all these viruses that they're loading them up with. Have they done a study on that? I'm sure they have, but they probably won't tell you. The NYPD spying how a 9-11 caller outed the NYPD surveillance of Muslims in New Jersey. And it says uh, this July, the photo shows the apartment complex in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where an apartment was rented by an undercover NYPD officer. On June 2nd, 2009, a building superintendent at the complex just off the Rutgers University campus called 9-11 after stumbling one of the NYPD's biggest secrets, a safe house, a place where undercover officers working well outside the department's jurisdiction could lead low and coordinate surveillance. The Associated Press has obtained a copy of the 9-11 call. He says, and uh, they tell you what happened, and 
of course, they, they actually raided their own place. But they had these safe houses, as, as they call them, throughout the city. And they're, they're basically, it's not just spying on them visually. And it's a, like a center headquarters where they bring in all their phone calls and everything else and monitoring them, etc., etc., etc. I'll put this link up tonight as well. And this article to do with from the guys who want you all to pay more taxes and be good, good, good citizens, while they themselves go through the loopholes they make for themselves, only the wealth they can afford to get into, um, it says this. It says, wealth doesn't trickle down, it just floods offshore, research reveals. It's a far-reaching new study suggesting a staggering $21 trillion in assets has been lost to global tax havens. If taxed, that could have been enough to put parts of Africa back on its feet and even solve the euro crisis. The world's super-rich have taken advantage of large tax rules to siphon off at least $21 trillion and possibly as much as $32 trillion from their homes and countries and hide it abroad, a sum larger than the entire American economy. James Henry, a former chief economist in consultancy, McKinsey, and an expert on tax havens, has conducted groundbreaking new research for the Tax Justice Network campaigning group, sifting through data from the Bank for International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, and private sector analysis to construct an alarming picture that shows capital flooding out of countries across the world and disappearing into the cracks in the financial system. Now, it says the Bank for International Settlements. Now, that was, that's the big, big one that Carol Quigley talks about for the Council on Foreign Relations. He says eventually all the central banks will be under the umbrella of the Bank for International Settlements, which will really rule the world's banks. All the central banks will be ruled by them. And it's getting funded, and it's also scamming the money from the big wigs, the, the, the ones with all the cash that aren't paying taxes at home. You know, they, they funnel millions and billions offshore and rep the top level of HM Queen. Anyways, his comedian Jimmy Carr became the, the public face of tax dodging in the UK earlier this year, where it emerged he had made use of a Cayman-based trust to slash his income tax bill. But the kind of scheme Carr took part in is the tip of the iceberg, according to Henry's report, entitled The Price of Offshore Revisited. There's a link to it too. You can download the PDF. Despite the professed determination of the G20 group of leading economies to tackle tax secrecy, investors in scores of countries, including the US and UK, are still able to hide some or all of their assets from the taxman. This offshore economy is large enough to have a major impact on estimates of inequality of wealth and income, on estimates of national income and debt ratios, and most importantly, to have very significant negative impacts on domestic tax bases of source countries, Henry says. So trillions get put offshore to tax. They will never touch these people. They're too important. Too important. And this has been going on forever, you understand. I'm also putting up tonight the pro-life opposition to Melinda Gates' population summit is not fading. And it says, um, it says pro-life protesters at the family planning summit in London last week signaled that opposition to the multi-billion dollar campaign is not going away. It's held on the 100th anniversary of the first eugenics conference in London, UK's Department for International Development, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation harnessed the seats of power, government scientists, media activists, to launch this latest effort to blame children for poverty and women's troubles. And that's true. You think it's the left wing? Left wing are, are, are run by multi-trillionaires, folks. And they always were. Did he ever go into the money that Lenin was scamming, that was all coming in from the U.S. and elsewhere, into his own private bank accounts in Switzerland? They all were, by the way. 
But anyway, it says the previous actions are an indication of future performance. Gates and DFID uh, can expect pro-life advocates to counter each aspect of their campaign. With a little advance notice, protesters showed up, video messages were circulated, and leaders published editorials in newspapers around the world, and pro-life statesmen were activated. Melinda Gates said she was convinced of the unmet need for contraception by listening to women in visits arranged by family planning groups. To fill the gap, Human Life International released an edgy video of young African and Asian women telling facts for Melinda Gates. You may have the best intentions, but you don't seem to understand what young women really need, they said. Oral contraception contains carcinogens and can worsen the spread of AIDS, they noted. We need better schools, better hospitals, better roads. Help us build a culture of respect for women. Well, they don't want that. They want you to be sterilized. I mean, they did it in India. They've sterilized thousands and thousands of women in India. Tell them, oh, your back pain is caused by this or that. Let's just have a little operation. And they give them a complete hysterectomy. That's the world we live in, folks. All, all deception. Understand, this isn't just the people in Africa they're conning. It's the whole darn world. Whole world. An article here says the prosecutor who failed to nail Penn State's coach for sex abuse, and I've mentioned this before, vanished in 2005 and was declared legally dead this year. The body of the district attorney, Ray Greikar, was never found, but Carr was abandoned and his laptop dragged from river. Uh, was missing its uh, hard drive. It was bumped off. That was the first investigation into Penn State's homosexual dealings with the children. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the Matrix, and as I'm saying, the world that, that, that we're given is, is so vastly different from the one they try to, to project to you. So incredibly different. Uh, in fact, if you knew what was really going on, you'd, you'd have to take some kind of action because it's, it's, it's worse than organized crime. If this is organized crime, it's the best organized crime in the world. But it's their world. They run it. And they have you indoctrinated. That was all indoctrinated. And they, they run the school systems. They run the whole system. And they tell you when to go off in war and fight who and pay for for all and all the rest of it when it suits them without telling you why they're involved with it in the first place. And um, another also too is a scandal that IMF, the senior economist, resigns. Now the International Monetary Fund is part two, this big bank for international settlements group uh, that was set up to help run the world system and actually control the world through the IMF. And he said he's ashamed to have any association with the fund at all to do with the, 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 the stuff that's been going on inside it. He says the rats are everywhere now jumping furiously off the Titanic, but few have taken the time to write a letter explaining in detail just how cracked and broken the hull really was. This has now changed with the departure of Peter Doyle, uh, formerly a division chief in the IMF's European Department, responsible for non-crisis countries and currently an advisor to the fund. 
not content, content with quietly sinking off the scandal-ridden organization, which has become the butt of all jokes in the international community, where rumor about Lagarde's Louis uh, Vuitton panhandling bag is as pervasive as punchlines about just how incompetent the organization is at actually doing its duty. Doyle has penned the following scratching, a scathing letter, which tears down every myth about the IMF, from its impartiality to the selection process of its head to its effectiveness. The letter also contains the following gem. After 20 years of service in the IMF, I'm ashamed to have had any association with the fund at all, he says. And it goes on to it's a full letter PDF. I'll put that link up tonight as well. And these are the ones we're supposed to let run the world, these organizations. Also, too, the U.S. is always telling us it's not involved with uh, NASA anymore in space. They can't afford it, but secret U.S. space plane lands after 15 months in orbit. Did you know about that one? I'll put that link up tonight, too, with the photographs and a little story on it as well. You're not supposed to really know what's going on, you understand. It's not for you. Just play. Play and be happy. Another article, too, is called Senseless Security. And uh, it starts off with a guy talking about his daughter and how he used to read to her, illustrated books and so on. And it says, for, for, for a, nas- a present national security moment, however, I might amend the book's punchline slightly to, that makes no sense. Now think of something you learned about the complex that fried your brain. Try the line yourself and we'll get started. Are you, for instance, worried about the safety of America's secrets? Then you should breathe a sigh of relief and consider this headline for a recent article on the inside pages of my hometown newspaper. Cost to protect U.S. secrets. The cost of protecting the secrets, just the secrets, right, that you're not supposed to know. Doubles to over $11 billion just for the bureaucrats that deal with keeping secrets. And this goes on and on too, and it's a really good article. I'll put that up as well tonight. And also spy satellite monopolies being formed right now by space companies. They're all merging into one organization to spy on the whole planet now. There's power. What organization do you think runs that or owns them? I'll put that link up tonight as well. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>